Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Alien UFO Podcast, Episode 11. And I'm your host, Simon Bound. Here at the Alien UFO podcast is to investigate all things that are part of the wider UFO phenomena. I'm looking at UFO sightings, alien abduction, historic cases, and other related events. And this is the free version of the episode. The extended episode is 27 minutes longer than this version. And to get access to the extra 27 minutes, you can join the Alien UFO podcast Patreon campaign. When you sign up for $7.50 a month, you get an extended episode every week. And for $4.50 a month, you get an extended episode every month. There are now 11 extended episodes available, but the back catalogue will grow every week. The Patreon episodes are ad-free and are released two days before the free versions. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash alien UFO podcast. My website is pastlifeshypnosis.co.uk and the links are in the show notes. And please check out my other podcast, it's called The Past Lives Podcast, There are over 200 episodes. On the Past Lives podcast, I look into evidence of the afterlife, such as near-death experiences, children with past life memories, mediumship, deathbed visions and other phenomena. And if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or via your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out on any episodes. This week I'm talking to Preston Dennett about his book, Wondrous, 25 True UFO Encounters. Preston Dennett began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986. He has interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena. He is a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, a ghost hunter, a paranormal researcher, and the author of 28 books and more than 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. Hi Preston, thanks a lot for coming onto the podcast. Hey, my pleasure Simon, thanks for having me. I wanted to talk to you because I saw your new book. It's called Wondrous, 25 True UFO Encounters. And it's it's great. And this is the 20th book you've written. You must have written so much stuff. Yeah, 20th on UFOs. I've actually written 28 on various, you know, including paranormal subjects because they are connected to some degree. But yeah, on UFOs, this is, I think, the 20th. <laughs> And it's been decades of uh, research as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's, let me see. About 35 years now. So most of my life. So you've said at the beginning of the book that the cases in this book are all new, never before published. So where do you get them from? Oh, a wide variety of ways and places. Uh, you know, sometimes it'll be at my office where I work. People have a friend who had an encounter or will get a new employee. I think there's a couple that way. Some people have read my books and contact me after hearing a story that resonates with them and their own experience. Uh, Some people hear me on podcasts like yours. If you saw me on TV, I speak at conventions and uh, I will be approached by people in the audience. So that way, uh, others find me through my website or referred to me by friends and family, coworkers. So really a wide variety of ways. Uh, there was a couple where I reached out to people uh, who had encounters that they perhaps posted a little blurb on a, a website, you know, a UFO website. And uh, 
So there's, I think, one case like that. But yeah, many, many different ways. And you say that they're all true, 25 true UFO encounters. So how can you be so sure there's no hoaxing or the people are mistaken? Is it that you've got a sixth sense for this now? Uh, <laughs> I mean, that would be one way of putting it. Sure, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. And uh, I have, I think, had a few people who were trying to pull the wool over my eyes, trying to, you know, hoax me, as you might say. But I don't think that happens nearly as often as people might think. People, as a general rule, are very reluctant to come forward and will say things like, you know, please don't use my name. Uh, they will say things like, I have no history of mental illness in my family. <laughs> I've got a good job and I'm well educated. I have not told anyone this, not even my wife, my husband. Uh, so I think that's one indicator. Um, I do have various methods I use as an interviewer to determine if a person is telling the truth. I always do a sort of a pre-interview and I will follow that up with a recorded interview and other interviews following up to see if their story changes. I will vet the information to the extent I can. You know, if they claim to be in the military or something, you can certainly verify their employment. I ask for uh, witnesses, references, this sort of thing, people who can corroborate their story. That's always helpful. Uh, probably one of the best ways is to just look at their story itself in detail, because there are a lot of details that are perhaps not super well known in you know, the public arena that turn up again and again in contact accounts. You know, what the inside of a UFO looks like, what the ETs will say, how they behave, various little details, which are kind of like little red flags or indicators that will allow you to, you know, is this consistent with the narrative that most people are putting forth? And it's not unusual, I have to say, when I'm interviewing someone, for them to become extremely emotional, even to the point of tears. And you start to get a real feel for, you know, unless these guys are you know, Oscar-winning actors. Uh, and, of course, it's impossible to determine completely whether a person's story is absolutely true. But what I do is put forth the evidence and, you know, put this out there in a very objective way without overlaying my own beliefs about this phenomena and let the reader decide for themselves what they think about this case. Uh, so, yeah, there are various methods you can use to determine if a person is telling the truth. I have had people you know, sign uh, their signature to their stories, this sort of thing. So, yeah, there are various ways. Now, you say that... Um high strangeness is a consistent feature of UFO encounters. And some might say just seeing a UFO is high strangeness in that anyway, but what would you define as high strangeness? Yeah, I'm continually surprised. I would say there is a very set pattern to perhaps an, an onboard UFO encounter to a certain extent as a researcher who've interviewed hundreds upon hundreds of people. You can predict what a person is going to say. For example, the most common feature that people describe as being physically examined. But over and over again, you know, I'll run across a case that has unique elements and are very surprising and quite strange and can involve just things you've never heard before or since, whether it's the appearance of an ET or, you know, perhaps instruments that they use or a procedure that's very, very unusual. Uh, just, I mean, there's, like I said, a paranormal aspect to a lot of these encounters. And that has not been, you know, given a lot of attention from a lot of researchers who will, in effect, edit it out, edit out some of the higher strangeness aspects, which I think is a mistake. There's a very strong spiritual and psychic and paranormal aspect to a lot of these encounters. And I know for a fact that some major researchers have not discussed this and have edited it out of people's accounts. So I've talked to them. And uh, I 
think that we're not going to solve any mysteries unless we look at these stories in their totality. So people will report things like perhaps seeing a deceased relative on board a UFO or just really weird, weird stuff that is off the wall and quite surprising. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely a high strangeness aspect. And once you think you've got a handle on it, along comes a case that throws you for a loop. Like for example, I remember one that really sort of cemented this for me was I heard from a radiologist in Canyon country here in Southern California. This is a pretty rural area. It overlooks the Los Angeles National Forest, which is a huge forest and very much wild. And he described having this UFO land in his backyard. And uh, he was a very lucid witness, gave a great interview. It was a very quick event, colored lights. There's no structures in behind his house. It's all very much wilderness. And it landed there and it took off. And he said the very next night, he had a Bigfoot encounter. There was a Bigfoot in the same exact spot. And he felt that this was related to the encounter. And that was my first exposure to that. I've since had other encounters that have these two phenomena, Bigfoot and UFOs, intersect completely. And so he's describing this and a rather extensive encounter. And he says, that's not at all... <laughs> He says, following these two events, we had a poltergeist outbreak in our home. And uh, this is why I had to start, you know, becoming a ghost hunter, researching near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, uh, levitation, psychic powers, healing. All of this is connected to some degree in many of these accounts. It's not at all unusual for contactees to start reporting, communicating with spirits or having past life recall. So there's absolutely a high strangeness aspect to this that I think we really need to start paying more attention to. Do you think that some researchers will leave it out of reports because it would discredit the report? They think... We've got to believe this UFO sighting. I'll leave all this other stuff out because no one's going to believe it if they read that as well. Exactly. I think that's exactly it. And I understand it. I mean, there. this was a very difficult subject to move forward. Uh, there's a lot of ridicule. There's a lot of disbelief, a lot of skepticism. And particularly early on, when these reports started coming out and involving things like telepathy and levitation and miraculous healings. I think researchers were reluctant to put this all forth. And I mean, it's a big pill to swallow. Uh, and there's many researchers who are very nuts and bolts about this and are working hard to just convince people that this, there's, this is a real phenomenon and start talking about <laughs> these very bizarre elements of you know, precognition and telepathy and beams of light that can pull you through solid walls and levitate you and heal you and is a lot for a skeptic to handle. And I think that, yeah, I think that's why some researchers have said, you know, you know what, <laughs> I'm just going to focus on the nuts and bolts aspects of this. And it suggests to us that this isn't just kind of like Star Trek or Star Wars, where it's people like us in metal spaceships traveling between the stars. There's suggestions there of the afterlife and multi-dimensions. I wonder if there was a disclosure that they'd also have to say, yeah, UFOs are real, there are aliens, but also there is an afterlife as well. Yes, yes, this is something that comes up. Uh, it's amazing how many people who have had a near-death experience will have contact later, or vice versa. They'll have contact and start having out-of-body experiences. One thing leads to another, and it causes a major paradigm shift. When someone is taken on board a UFO, and perhaps they're very religious. I've talked to a number of people who've had to deal with this. Uh, they have a difficult time because their belief system doesn't really have a space <laughs> for an experience like this. 
So it leads to a lot of questioning of these deeper issues in life. And this is, I think, one of the reasons behind the UFO cover-up, because it wakes people up to the fact that not only are we not alone, but there is life after death. And we as human beings have unlimited potentials and really powerful, what we would term supernatural abilities, which aren't really supernatural. They're natural. We all have the ability to do telepathy, to levitate, to heal, to have precognition, all kinds of stuff like this. So it's really opening up a can of worms when something you know, like this occurs. And I've heard that there have been people who've been abducted and they've complained to the aliens, why are you doing this? You can't do this to me. And the aliens say, but you agreed to this before you were born. Exactly. And this, there's a lot of fear surrounding this subject. There really is. And when someone has contact, it often is extremely frightening. And they're feeling like, oh, I'm being kidnapped against my will. These ETs are doing horrific experiments on me. I did not ask for this. Uh, and they perceive it quite negatively. And this is often when someone has a very strong fear response. However, as their encounters progress, and this is a pattern I've seen many times, and I can tell you it's certainly something other researchers have found, contact starts to move towards a more benevolent uh, nature. Uh, initially, people will have you know, nightmares, PTSD. They are freaking out. They've got a lot of trauma surrounding this. But as time goes on and they get over their fear, they start having really a lot more spiritual experiences. Typically what happens when someone is, you know, has grays appear in their bedroom in the middle of the night, they freak out and they lash out and will panic. And they are pulled on board and they're like, I did not agree to this. We've compartmentalized our consciousness to a degree where we're not fully aware of everything that we're thinking. Uh, and we've got a lot of stuff buried in our subconscious. And the ETs are so spiritually advanced that they are talking to our whole beings, to our subconscious, as well as our uh, conscious selves. And when people have contact, they start to wake up to this. And when someone has a strong fear response, what happens is they'll be taken on board, be physically examined, and they're freaking out, they're screaming, they've got a lot of fear and trauma. And the ETs are like, wow, this person is not reacting well. And uh, they will render you paralyzed. And they will put you back and suppress your memories. And this is why people have missing time. And they're left with really no other memory than flashbacks of being on board a UFO and ETs coming at them. And they're not remembering that, in fact, they were counseled afterwards and given a tour of the craft. Whereas if someone does not have a strong fear response, and this is what usually happens to people after they've had perhaps several encounters, or if they're just evolved to the point where they're, this is not scary for them initially, uh, they're not necessarily paralyzed and they do not have their memories suppressed. And what will happen is they're physically examined, often healed. This is one of the purposes for these physical exams. They are checking up on people very much like doctors. And then after that, they will give you a little counseling session. Like, how is your life going? You know, are you on your life path? Um, is there, you know, what are you, what's blocking you? <laughs> They were given a tour of the craft. This is not uncommon. This appears over and over again in the cases I've researched, particularly those who have extensive encounters. They're taken to the engine room. And the ET said, here's, our, you know, here's how we fly our craft. We use electromagnetics. It's usually along the lines of that, magnetic fields, gravitational lines. And then they will take you onto the control room, the helm of the craft and explain exactly how they fly it. They will, I've had several people describe being taken to the various planets in our solar system. Saturn comes up a number of times. 
it's really, I mean, it's almost science fiction, but I'm telling you, these stories are very consistent. They will even in some cases let people sit down in the chair and fly the craft themselves. I've had many, many cases of this. And then if the person gets any messages beyond, don't be afraid, we won't hurt you, which is what they will always tell you, which is you know a very positive message. If someone doesn't have a strong fear response and is able to communicate with the ETs, they will talk to you. They will tell you why you've been contacted, which is often because they are interested in a person's genetic line. They're trying to upgrade human genetics and uh, increase longevity and health and intelligence and psychic abilities. This is what they tell people. And the most common message, hands down, is warnings about nuclear proliferation, pollution, environmental destruction, chopping down the forests, this sort of thing. Over and over and over again, this is what people are told. Warnings about our warlike ways, our prejudices, our greed, corruption. This is the main message from the ETs. And thirdly, I would say they are very much have an agenda to wake us up to our own abilities as human beings. Over and over again, people come back from their experiences. And this is our general rule, spiritually enlightened to some degree. Uh, they feel like they can do Reiki, hands-on healing. They start doing channeling. They have the ability to give psychic readings or start seeing spirits or having out-of-body experiences. Numerous cases of people spontaneously levitating following their encounters. I just did a whole study on that. It was really amazed me because I'm like, wow, why is this not getting more attention? Uh, and I have to tell you, like the healing aspect of this, this is another reason why I'm so encouraged. Being healed as a result of a UFO encounter is far more common than people realize. And almost every major researcher out there, almost without exception, has cases like this. I cornered Bud Hopkins, you know, a major abduction researcher, because he never wrote about it. And I was curious. And I asked him, he says, oh, yeah, I have several cases. And I know David Jacobs does. He's written about it. John Mack, Barbara Lamb, Yvonne Smith, uh, Edith Fiore. They, they all do. <laughs> the, the abduction phenomena has been grossly misrepresented. Where people are looking at it very much fear-based. I think that's partly the media's fault, partly the fault of the cover-up and the secret government, which is putting forth an alien threat narrative, partly the fault of researchers who have been reluctant to explore these areas uh, and are looking at it through the lens of fear themselves. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it's all friendly. It's not all puppies and rainbows by any means. Some people do have negative encounters, and I've talked to them. But I have no evidence of sadism or torture. No cases like that. That is not their agenda. They're not trying to scare or hurt people. Uh, it's overall, I think generally speaking, good news for us. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So what do you make of David Jacobs' conclusions? Because he seems to be saying it's some kind of quiet invasion or something, trying to replace us all with hybrids? Yeah, um, I am curious about, I mean, he's done some great research. He's put out some really good information. And if you look at his cases objectively without his interpretation, I don't see that. Uh, I think the evidence is very good that ETs have been around for millennia. We know this from, you know, cave paintings even. <laughs> Uh, petroglyphs, uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs, ancient writings from, you know, 
ancient India and the Vimyanas. So we have ETs that have been around for a very, very, very long time and apparently intervening with us genetically. Uh, there's a lot of writings that speak towards this. So this whole hybrid program is nothing new. We've only recently become aware of it and are studying it. But the evidence is showing from you know ancient writings in the Bible and indigenous cultures, their oral tradition. They said, oh, we are you know, ancestors. The ETs are our ancestors. This is present in indigenous cultures all across the world. So my point is, this is something that's been going on a very long time. And there are human-looking ETs out there, by the way. They're all humanoid, almost without exception. So this intervention has been going on forever. This invasion, if you want to use that word, has already taken place thousands of years ago. And the human race has been upgraded generation by generation by generation. And probably a lot of people do have ET genetics in them. And the fact that there are human-looking ETs out there raises serious questions about human origins. And uh, there's been some interesting research done in this, how well-suited humans are for planet Earth in general. So I don't see that there's any good evidence that, you know, hybrids are going to come and take over. They already have. This is my point. Many, many contactees feel that they are already hybrids. So I think what we're doing, what we're seeing here is just a general, continuous upgrading of our genetics. And this is why ETs basically are following certain families, genetic lines. We know this. This is one of the major patterns that has been firmly established. If you are having contact, the chances are your parents have, your grandparents, your relatives, in, you know, in some way, uncles and aunts, perhaps, children, absolutely. Uh, here's just one case I'll cite to sort of reinforce this. I love this case. It's just really interesting to me. This gentleman, his name is Jim Law from Gainesville, Florida. Had encounters his whole life, kind of got over the fear to a certain extent. One day, Grace enters bedroom. And he's like, oh, you're here again. <laughs> if you're going to take me, why don't you heal this hernia that I have? And they said, uh, we know of this condition that you speak, and we will repair it. Almost a direct quote. I, I might be paraphrasing slightly, but that's what they told him. And they did. They healed it quickly then and there. This is not unusual. Many cases like this. But then he asks them, why are you contacting me? Why? Why are you taking me? And they answered, we are interested in your genetic potential to live a long time. And that really rung a bell with him because his grandfather was 106 years old and still active and healthy. And this is what we're seeing. Many contactees I've interviewed have told me, I enjoy excellent health all the way through old age. You know, I've never been to the doctor. I don't get sick. My children don't get sick. Um, and John Mack talks about this. People get what he calls health upgrades. And I've got many, many cases I could put forth that talk about this. So this is what I think is happening. No, we're not. They're not going to invade. I don't think. Uh, like David Jacobs says, and most researchers, I don't think, share his viewpoints. There are some who feel like this is negative and not good for us. There's a segment of the population who feels this is a demonic phenomenon. They seriously believe this. And I ended up researching demonology because of this and bought all the books. You know, really looked, dug deep into ancient writings on demons religious writings, all the way to current researchers like Ed and Lorraine Warren. This is not demonic. That is a real phenomenon. It's completely separate. There's a tendency from, for researchers even to lump various phenomena into under one umbrella. There are some researchers who say this is not ET at all. This is an intelligence that is masquerading in various forms, putting on masks, and manifesting in these different ways suited to our culture or, or our beliefs. 
no, I don't see the evidence for that at all. I think the ET explanation is the one that best fits the evidence here. And they're not here to take over. There is a skeptical sort of argument to say that if aliens came to Earth, they would probably be overwhelmed by our viruses, bacteria. You know, the whole biosphere might just kill them off. And yet the abductees talk about them walking around everywhere all the time as though they're perfectly suited to Earth. Do you think they've been genetically engineered so they're happy to live on this planet? I think some probably are. Pretty sure there are some particularly human-looking types who are well-suited to walking around Earth. But I will say when someone is taken on board, what often happens is they are taken to a room and decontaminated. Betty Andreessen talked about this. A lady I'm interviewing right now talked about this. Uh, there's a gentleman I interviewed who's uh, in this latest book, uh, the one I, I sent to you, who had this experience where he was taken on board and he met praying mantis like ETs. And uh, they took him to this little room and this laser-like light shined down on him and started scanning his body. And he turns to this praying mantis, you know, who was like seven feet tall and said, what was that? And the praying mantis figure tilted his head, kind of searching for the right word, and finally said, soap. <laughs> so uh, they, I think there is some danger of that, that they are concerned about viruses and will, in effect, decontaminate people uh, so that they you know, do not infect them. And it's interesting that there's a wide variety of extraterrestrials being reported, like greys, praying mantis, human-looking ETs. It seems like there's a whole bunch of them visiting us. Yeah, yeah. You know, I came in this field as a skeptic, and I'd heard of UFOs you know, on programs like In Search Of and occasionally on the news or, or what have you. Didn't believe it. And one of the reasons I didn't, because whenever I heard of ETs, it'd be like, it sounded like Star Trek to me. <laughs> I'm like, why are these all people reporting, you know, humanoid figures? And in fact, that's kind of what people are re reporting. I mean, the fact is, this is what people are experiencing. We're kind of stuck with the evidence. This is something that seems to be universal, the humanoid form. And yet there's a wide variety. And in my own files, you know, the cases I've personally investigated, I think this is absolutely reflected in all the other researchers who have focused on this aspect of, you know, firsthand contact. There is a wide variety. And it, a lot of them are greys or some variation of what we would think of as greys. By that, I mean, you know, the short figures, three foot, four foot, five, even up to six feet, very slender, very white, pale skin, gray, white, uh, along those lines. And large dark eyes, large hairless heads, slender limbs. Uh, this, these are what we call the grays. I want to say 50, 60, even up to 70% of the cases I get are grays. And next to that would be human looking, pretty much just like us, except often described as being very handsome or beautiful, muscular. Um, usually six feet tall, six and a half feet tall. Uh, not just Nordic, as is often described, you know, white skin, but really all different colors, dark skin as well. And next to that would be praying mantis. And they're usually described as six foot to about nine feet tall. I have a few outlying cases which where they're much taller, 15 feet tall even. <laughs> Uh, which is quite shocking, but I, I would call those outliers. Uh, but they do turn up, and that is a very common type of VT. Those are the three main categories I get. I do get a few reptilian cases, but another category is sort of a catch-all of strange humanoids, like tall whites, they're often described, which do have hair, but are described as like eight feet tall, very light-skinned, large eyes, but essentially human. Uh, little 
short, hairy dwarves, um, tall humanoids of all kinds. I remember I was contacted by one lady who often this happens. People contact me because they want to know if I've ever heard of a figure like the one they saw. And this lady described a nine foot tall humanoid, very broad shouldered, almost human looking, but its chin was huge. It had a giant forehead, really large eyes that were slightly wrap around and Asian looking and uh, had straw like hair. She says it wasn't really hair as we would think of it. It looked like straw, three inches sticking straight up. So she's describing this you know, figure. And I'm like, mm, no, I've never heard of anything like this. And I'm going to say every 10th case I get or so is what I would call a uniquely described humanoid. I haven't heard it before or since. It's still essentially humanoid, but so there's this weird catch-all category. What I don't get is, you know, octopus or you know, things with tentacles or claws or you know, something that's just complete blobs or anything that's just off the wall outlandish. It's almost always humanoid. Two arms, two legs, a head, eyes, a mouth. So that seems to be the template throughout the universe. And I'm guessing, just this is my pure speculation here, based on the huge number of reports like this, that their life throughout the universe is far more common than we realize. And that there's an extraterrestrial parade out there of humanoids of all different kinds. And it's very difficult to categorize. I think you said earlier that there's that idea that they're the screen memories or they're putting forwards, maybe telepathically controlling your perception. So you see them as a certain type of being when perhaps there's something different. Yes. Well, we know they can do this because this comes up again and again. People will have an encounter and We'll see. I mean, I talked to one lady. This happens a lot with children. Uh, she saw, as a kid, three-foot-tall teddy bears coming into her bedroom. And later they were, she found out they were greys. And I've heard every variation of this among children, from superheroes to Barbie dolls to, you know, animals, owls, deer, uh, you name it. They Cowboys. <laughs> uh Clowns, clowns turns up quite a bit. They have the ability to do this. Uh, and greys have appeared to people as human looking and then will suddenly transform into greys. So I think what they're doing here is not so much shape-shifting as sort of hypnotizing perhaps uh, or putting forth that image to a person. Uh, sometimes they will actually physically dress up, I think, into a uniform or a costume that is, you know, suited to the witness. Like one lady, she was a cowboy, a horse farmer, and the greys came up wearing cowboy hats and sort of pasted on mustaches. <laughs> they do have this ability. Uh, however, I will say that since we have really, you know, a hundred thousand reports of humanoids, at least probably closer to them, you know, in the millions. We have so many reports of greys that are absolutely consistent throughout the world from people who have not read UFO books, uh, who are not exposed to these ideas, who are describing little details uh, that absolutely corroborate with other cases. I remember the first case I got of a gray came from my sister-in-law. This, this was back in the late 1980s when the media really hadn't put forth the idea of grays uh, to the point where everyone knew what a gray was. She certainly didn't know. She's never read a UFO book. She just told me I saw something and I don't know what it was. It wasn't human and started to describe these grays. And it was amazing to me because as she's describing them, I'm like, oh my gosh, if she tells me, you know, they have chalk white skin and a uniform, I'm going to do a backflip because I just, and she did. And she described a gray right down to the tiniest detail. And there's just no way she could have known this. So I'm feeling 
pretty confident that when someone sees a gray, that's their true form. And when someone sees a praying mantis or a human looking alien or a little short blue guy, uh, that's what they look like because we have so, so many reports. I inter- and my other sister-in-law, this is, is in my family. This is how I kind of got involved in this. I found out my family was having encounters. She described these short little blue beings. And she said that folded skin, you know, dark eyes, really short, sort of boxy hands. And she's an artist, quite accomplished artist. And she did a little painting for me. And uh, I have shown this, you know, when someone says, oh, I saw these little blue beings and starts describing this. I'm like, did you, have you done a drawing? Can you send me a drawing? And often they're not artists and they do their best. I'm like, well, can I show you this picture? And can you tell me, does it look like this? And uh, it's amazing to hear their reaction. I mean, I've seen people, you know, be drawn to tears seeing these things. And they're like, yes, that's exactly what I saw. So I think the corroboration is enough to say that, yeah, this is probably what we're dealing with. Uh, but, But at the same time, yeah, they do have the ability to put forth an image and have people perceive them in a way that is perhaps less frightening. Do you ever get reports where people see different types of aliens working together, maybe mantis with a with the Nordics or with the greys? Is there some kind of hierarchy, like somebody's in charge? Yes. I'm not sure I would call it a hierarchy, but Absolutely. That is not uncommon to see greys working along with praying mantis, working along with human-looking ETs. Uh, for example, here's one a case involving a gentleman from Utah who at age 24 woke up to see greys entering his bedroom. He had a four-year-old child. He's a single parent. And uh, the greys were taking his child. And he jumps out of bed and says, Um, If you're taking my child, I want to go with you. I don't want him to be scared. And he looks at this gray and, you know, he realized that he had seen this gray before. And he had no fear. He felt like this gray was his teacher, his friend, his guide. And all these memories started flooding back in of encounters throughout his childhood. And so he's basically taken by this gray with his son on board a craft and they're met by this human-looking woman, a normal lady with blonde brown hair, very kind. She was wearing an orange and brown jumpsuit. And she gave him a tour of the craft, said, we're contacting you because there's some information you need to know. You're going to meet this woman. This woman is going to be your girlfriend. And you need to know this. Gave him some personal information, which he didn't want to share because it was very personal to just him. And uh, it was relatively, that was the gist of the encounter. And this is the same gentleman who I mentioned earlier, who later saw praying mantis ETs and also saw hybrids at one point. It's a very extensive case. He was very, very religious at the time uh, and moved away from religion because it just didn't answer the questions that he had that, uh, involved his experiences it sent him on a huge spiritual journey so this is not unusual people will see different types of ets this happened to travis walton he saw not only grays but human looking ets i hear this all the time so do you get the impression that perhaps there may be places other planets where they are humans i mean exactly like us actual humans they're living, just living on other planets and other civilization. Exactly. Yeah. And I've talked to contactees who have reported this. Uh, there's life throughout the universe. I'm working right now with a lady who's a fully conscious contactee. Her name is Dolly. She's from Florida. She's the subject of my next book, which should be released shortly. And she talks about this. And they do work together, these ETs. And as far as I can tell, there is no hierarchy There's no government, there's no federalized system, there's no money. They are all working very much cooperatively together. When a species reaches a point of advancement, 
technologically where they are able to travel between the stars in most cases, I think almost as a rule, if you reach that level of technological advancement and have not destroyed yourself, it's because you've also reached a level of spiritual advancement, ethically and morally, that once you're able to travel between the stars and have overcome all these social problems, the kind that are plaguing our planet right now, uh, you are not hostile. Uh, you've learned that uh, there's life throughout the universe and it's cooperative. And remember, these ETs are telepathic as a rule. People have reported you know, verbally talking with ETs, particularly the human-looking ones, but pretty much without exception, communication is telepathic. They understand the ETs through, you know, speaking mentally and the ETs understand us and all communication is telepathic and there's no possibility of lies or secrets. So this is how I think they're able to cooperate with each other. Everybody knows everything. They're all working together. And uh, I have no evidence of like warring species or anything like that, which is some put forth in some narratives uh, out there, but it's super rare. And I'm not entirely sure I trust them because there is disinformation in this field. There is a cover up. Uh, there, so I'm, I think there are people out there putting out false information knowingly to put forth an alien threat narrative, which is not supported by the vast majority of cases. Uh, so I think we're dealing with highly advanced beings technologically and spiritually. And I will say that most researchers and experiencers, that's the one thing they do agree upon is that whoever these beings are, wherever they come from, whatever their origins, whatever their agendas, they are extremely advanced. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And so, do they ever make mistakes? Because I, I was reading in the book, every chapter is a different story. And chapter 13 is called Abducted by Aliens, Almost. And it's almost like these girls, I think they were like 11, 12 years old, they outfoxed the UFO and managed to stop an abduction. Yes, yes. I wonder about this case because it's one of the reasons I wanted to include that case in this book. I wanted to put cases forth that were had unique elements, uh, had something to teach us about UFO phenomena, a broad spectrum of cases, uh, cases that with high credibility, multiple witnesses. And that case involved a lady by the name of Charmaine, who actually was someone I met at the office where I work. And she found out I was a UFO researcher and was thrilled because she's like, oh my gosh, you know, I had this experience when I was a little girl in Louisiana. Was, I think it was 13 years old, like you said, and was walking with her sister and friend on their way home early one evening when this UFO dropped down out of the sky. She said it was huge. It reminded her of an, like a, what do we call it? A raised pool, like a doughboy pool, uh, 20 feet across, circular, sort of a saucer, your classic saucer, hovering quite low overhead and uh, silent and hovering right directly above them, they freaked out and started to run. And this thing sends down a beam of light, which strikes them. And her sister and her friend escaped this beam of light, but Charmaine did not. It struck her and she says, as soon as it hit her, all her fear evaporated. This is something many researchers have talked about. These beams of light have this weird effect on you mentally and it's a very calming tranquilizing beam 
she said suddenly you know every the whole world seemed very far away she was in absolute peace she felt great and uh, all her fear was absolutely gone time seemed to stop she was just a very very strange and actually nice feeling and uh she says that she was fine being in that light and she was ready to go up with them but suddenly her sister reached in and pulled her out grabbed her and pulled her out of this beam of light and that's when her fear returned they went running inside the saucer darts away came solo over a tree that it ripped off a branch which is good physical evidence her mother saw this you know a lot of witnesses saw this so i am wondering if this was a foiled abduction because usually when someone is struck by a beam of light game's over you're being pulled up inside of it that did not happen in this case she had no further encounters so i don't know quite what to make of it it's an unusual case so yeah they're not perfect absolutely i think we know this because people will sometimes be returned to the wrong location wearing their clothes on backwards uh there are ufo crash reports they're absolutely not perfect mistakes happen accidents happen and i think in this case they just were not quite able to <laughs> complete their mission uh so i can only speculate but that's what it looks like it's always good there's multiple witnesses because our memories aren't fantastic and we do mess up things sometimes but you can get lots of people to report on it. You can get a much better picture of what happened. Exactly. I always love it when I have a case with multiple witnesses. And I will say that most people who, you know, say have a simple sighting do have somebody with them. I came into this field as a complete skeptic, like I said. Found out my brother had seen a UFO. He had two witnesses with him. I was shocked. Uh, my sister-in-law saw a UFO. She had two witnesses. Had a good family friend. She had another person with her. Another friend. He had a witness. He had missing time as well. Uh, a lady at work. Her whole family was there. A lady, another lady at work, Dorothy. She and her friend and her mother were followed home by a UFO. They had missing time. But there was three of them. Every single person that I interviewed initially had someone with them. And that. Usually, most encounters uh, do not happen to a single person. And in sightings, uh, when someone's taken on board, I would say, yeah, that often is just a single person, but not always. You know, many cases do involve multiple people. If we can go to chapter 18, which is called Government Insider, that's interesting because that guy was invited to be part of, was it Omega and the Red Team, which is a team that goes out and collects crashed extraterrestrial craft. Yes, this is a guy I've been in touch with for years. And uh, I know he's legit. I was able to verify his employment. He was had a top secret clearance. He was on the USS Kidd, a Navy ship, and uh, highly placed in the military. You know, rose up through the ranks and eventually retired due to an injury he received. Uh, by the way, his father was also stationed at an Air Force base and says he guarded a captured UFO. This sort of captured his interest early on, and he knew there was government involvement in all this. And uh, he, you know, when the Internet started to become popular, he started to do research and connecting with people uh, like him who were interested in the subject and also highly placed in the military. And he connected with a gentleman who was apparently part of this team who recovered crashed UFOs and was corresponding with him and uh, agreed to meet. And the guy asked him if he wanted to join this team of people who are involved in crash retrievals. And it was a very slow process. And eventually it was made clear to him that, yeah, this was what it involved. And that if he wanted to join this team, he would have to be completely quiet about it. You could not have any family members involved. You'd have to be single. 
And he had just recently started having a relationship with uh, his partner, uh, his girlfriend, and uh, he declined. He says, mm, you know, it just the cost of doing this was just too much for him. He, so he decided not to, but he stayed in touch with these guys and started to learn all kinds of really interesting information. He learned that in Vietnam, uh, there were at least two craft, two ET craft that were recovered. And he learned that Area 51 does in fact go underground Many stories underground. There's a huge city with thousands upon thousands of people. And there's all kinds of research being done into reverse engineering craft and so forth. And he met with some of these people face to face. At one point, he was talking to a gentleman who he assumed was human, but it wasn't. This gentleman transformed into a gray right before his eyes. So, you know, speaking back to what you, you mentioned earlier, uh, yeah, there are probably some of these guys walking among us who look like humans but aren't. Uh, so that was his experience. It's quite involved. Uh, but he ultimately declined to join this group because he, you know, the people he had talked to who had joined it paid a very high price. One gentleman who was part of this group wanted to get out. And they said, the only way you're going to be able to leave is if you consent to essentially being brainwashed. And he did. And all his memories of this were erased through hypnotic techniques. But after suffering a severe car accident and a head injury, his memories started coming back. And he remembered a lot of stuff of being, you know, this is where some of the information about Area 51 in Nevada came from. So he's one of several, well, let's see, three whistleblower accounts, three or four that I was able to include in this book. Um, cases I'd sat on for a while because I just they didn't fit the theme of any book I'd put out, or I really wanted to verify it first, uh, see if there's any corroboration out there. And there's numerous whistleblowers coming out of Area 51 who are saying essentially the same thing. So I thought, all right, you know, I verified this guy's story. <laughs> He's a very nice man. He's told me things throughout the years that have, you know, turned out to be true. So I thought his story was important enough that people needed to know about it. Well, it's been fascinating talking to you and I've got tons of questions left over, but we've just run out of time. And uh, the book's called Wondrous, 25 UFO Encounters, and that's on Amazon and Kindle and paperback with all your other books. It's a great read. The stories, the cases are fascinating and they're so well written. It's, it's like uh, you just get drawn into it and you just want to keep reading. And so when's your next book coming out? Uh, probably within about two months. Yes, I'm very excited. It's the story of one lady's full conscious contacts throughout her life. And I think it's really going to open some eyes as to the benevolent nature of this UFO phenomenon and how extensive their contact is with us. So I'm pretty excited about it. Do you have a website? I do. I think if you just punch my name in on the internet, it'll take you there. The actual address is prestondennett.weebly.com. All my books are there, excerpts. And anyone who would like to contact me with a you know a question, a comment, or wanting to share their story is certainly welcome to do so. You can contact me through my website. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. I have a YouTube channel where I'm putting out my research for those who don't have the time or patience to read books, which I understand. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is an important subject. You may be skeptical, you may think it doesn't affect you, but if you do your homework, you will see it is real. And I think at some point, everyone on this planet will have conclusive proof of that. The proof is out there. It's in the public arena. It's there. Well, thanks a lot for coming on to the podcast. It's been great. Hey, thanks for having me, Simon. I really appreciate it. And that was an interview with Preston Dennett about his book, Wondrous, 25 UFO Encounters. A great way to support the podcast is to sign up on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash alien UFO podcast. This is the free one hour version of the episode. The extended episode is an hour and 27 minutes. 
If you join the $4.50 a month tier, you get an extended episode every month. If you join the $7.50 a month tier, you'll have access to an extended episode every week and the back catalogue of extended episodes. My website is pastliveshypnosis.co.uk where you can find my other podcast. It's called The Past Lives Podcast. There are nearly 200 episodes and it is where I look into evidence of the afterlife. In my work as a clinical hypnotherapist, I take people through past life regressions. And when you book a past life regression hypnosis session with me and you've signed up to Patreon, you get a 25% discount. And I'm offering a free consultation call which can be booked on my website. My Instagram is the past lives podcast with an underscore between each word. And on Twitter, I am at Simon G. Bown. And if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or via your favourite podcast app to make sure that you don't miss out on any episodes. And thanks for listening.